Well, good morning, church. You know, I was sitting over there thinking, I wonder how long I could sit there before people start to get fidgety, you know? <laughs> I wonder how long I could sit there. Is something going to happen? Is everything okay? Oh, man, so good to be here. So good to be here. From the inside to the outside. From the inside to the outside. Say it with me. From the inside to the outside. From the inside to the outside. When we can manage to have those two things come together, when we can manage to have what's inside of us and what's outside of us working in concert with one another, we call that authenticity. We call that being real. We call that being genuine. From the inside to the outside, when those two things work together, when they're in harmony with one another, it's authenticity. When we're talking about relationships, we want authenticity, don't we? We want authenticity in our friendships. We want authenticity in our working relationships. We want authenticity certainly with our, our, our spouse and with our children. We want authenticity. These are the kinds of relationships that we most desire. And for, for that to happen, uh, what's going on inside of us and what's going on outside of us need to be in concert with one another. When that doesn't happen, you know what the Bible calls it? You know what God says about lives that are different, that are contrasted from the inside to the outside? Do you know what word he uses? Hypocrite. You see, generally speaking, we think of hypocrisy, we generally think of hypocrisy as saying one thing and doing another, don't we? But that's not how the Bible defines hypocrisy. Now, scripture, God's Word, defines hypocrisy as the reality of one thing inside going on. The reality that God can see. The reality of a life uh, torn open before the Lord. Uh, that kind of reality and the externality, what's on the outside, doesn't match. That's how the Bible defines hypocrisy. And so, the, the goal, the goal, of course, is we live in concert in relationship with God is for what's on the inside of us to, to match what's on the outside of us, right? Now, many of you have experienced this sort of inside-outside toggle, haven't you? I know because I have experienced it. As a young man, I desired a young woman. And what was going on inside of me and what was going on outside of me were very much in concert with one another. Right? If you have ever gone into a dating relationship, there are all of these things going on. And, and uh, uh, I'm just going to say it. I was in pursuit of who, who now is my bride, Jolynn. I, I lived in pursuit of her. I, I wanted to make sure that she was impressed with me. I wanted to make sure that she knew how much I cared for her, how much I loved her, uh, how much I would give for her. Are you hanging with me here? And so, so 
all of that was going on inside of me. I had this giant loyalty to her. I wanted her to know that, uh, that, uh, that if she were to marry me, if she were to choose me, that, that I would be absolutely loyal to her. And so I did things to try and express that. I would open doors for her to make sure that she knew just how much I loved her. When we would come to the car door, I would run around to the outside and I would say, don't get that, it's okay, I'll open the door for you. When we went to dinner, I was always be sure to, to, to pay for the extra popcorn, whatever you want, dear. Was this any of your all's experience? Everything was moving in concert with one another. If we sat down uh, at a date and our, our, our feet happened to get entangled underneath uh, the table, it was a very romantic moment, right? And yet, sometimes, life has a way of tarnishing the equilibrium of the inside and the outside working in harmony with one another. Sometimes, perhaps, in a married relationship, your marriage can be tarnished. And perhaps, perhaps you could do all of the same things that you did before, but it's only something that's happening on the outside. Perhaps you say all the right words but the reality of what's going on inside is not in harmony with what's going on on the outside. You may say words like this, I love you. You go and you, you uh, pick up the phone and it's the, your spouse on the other end. And before you uh, hang up, you say, well, love you. It's this, it's this uh, couched habit, I, I love you. And it's not a bad habit. It's good. Please don't hear me say. Don't go to your colleagues at work tomorrow and say the preacher said don't, I'm not to, to, to tell my wife that I love her. It's not what I'm saying. Is it important that you tell your wife that you love her? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, but I wonder, is there ever a time, is there ever a time in a relationship where we can say words and not actually mean them? Uh, is it possible that we can continue to open doors? That we can continue to pay for dinner? That we can continue to say things like, I love you, and yet the internal reality is no longer there even though the external reality is? Are you all hanging with me on this? When we have an internal and external going on at the same time, we call it authenticity. When we don't, the Bible calls it hypocrisy. And so I wonder, for you, for me, if we've ever entered into buildings like this one, to facilities that look like this, to gatherings that are a lot like the one that we have this morning, and we enter into the facility and we raise our hands in worship and we tell God how much we love Him, but there's two different realities that are going on. And so the question becomes, how in the world 
Do we allow these two things to act in concert with one another? How do we uh, make sure that what is going on on the surface, on the, on the outside of our lives, and the actions and the demonstrations of our faith, how do we make sure uh, that what's out here matches what's in here? How do, how do we do that? We're going to continue on in this book of Hosea. And what we're going to be confronted with is, again, a relentless God who refuses to let us go our own way. And when He refuses to let us go our own way, what we're going to to be confronted with is is a picture of inauthentic people. And it's through that picture of inauthentic people that we're going to see what authentic people ought to look like. You see, we're going to to engage a a people in Israel who have so been confident in their own rituals of worship that they think everything is going well when everything, at least from God's perspective, is not going well. Let me tell you what this ride to church looks like for the people of Israel in Hosea. There is a mom and dad, and there are two children. And the child pipes up in the back seat and says, Mom and Dad, why do we have to go to church? Have you ever had that question? Why is it that we have to do this? And, and the parents begin to say, well, because, because we need to, because God wants us to because He has asked us to, all of which are fine answers. We need to sing and we need to listen and we need to pray and we need to gather together and, and we need to sacrifice. So one large piece uh, for the nation of Israel was this piece of sacrifice. And so they would come and, and they would do the things that you and I generally do and they would open up the Bible and they would read it and they would recite it even. And they would come and they might even raise their hands, I don't know. But they certainly would sing the psalms in praise to God of all the things that He has done. And they would no doubt hear a recitation from Scripture. And people would come, just like you're hearing me, and they would hear someone. And then they would, they, would, uh, they would have some sort of sacrifice. The priest would come and, and he would give a burnt offering. And, and this was uh, maybe an animal, maybe it was a, a, some grain that they had brought. And, and it was to be this, this complete giving over to the Lord, right? Uh, it was this offering before God. It was supposed to be completely consumed. Uh, it was supposed to be this representation of, of, of what what it was that God was giving to them. And they were giving their absolute all to God. Their only problem. The only problem for the people of Israel. It was all in lip service to God. You know what lip service is? Lip service is this, is this act by which we, we go about trying hard to just tell people what they want to hear in order to get what we want. Have you ever done that? Provided lip service? I know my children do. 
I know I do and have. I'm going to tell you what it is that you desperately want to hear from me so that I can get whatever it is that you have. Uh, Israel had entered into a time in their own worship of God uh, where it was just about doing the ritual and not connecting with the internal loyalty and commitment to God. Engage with me in Hosea chapter 6. I'm going to begin in verse 1. And I want you just to see uh, the unfolding of an inauthentic life before God. Hosea chapter 6, verse 1, page 627 in the Bibles that are provided for you from the pews. Over the history of the world, over the history of the world, people have often tried to appease the gods. Uh, they would even go so far, some of them, to, to begin to sacrifice people in order to try and appease God. This was kind of the usual pattern. And I wonder, I wonder if, if Israel as a people, as a nation, uh, had come to the point where uh, they had come to do something uh, to try and appease God, that this was some sort of usual pattern. Uh, the problem is that this is a very unusual God, this relentless God that we serve. Look at verse 1 in chapter 6. The people are saying, hey, come. Let's return to the Lord. He's torn us to pieces, but He'll heal us. He's injured us, but He will bind up our wounds. Now, now think about it this way. Uh, they're coming to the Lord, and they're approaching Him like, like a click whir, right? Uh, check the box, and everything's going to go on just as it has before. So what is it that God asks? What is it that He needs? I know. Let's just go and return to Him. Uh, this word for return is really the word for repent, uh, all we have to do is just go to church, uh, uh, go do the sacrifice stuff, uh, go return to the Lord, and, and notice what is going to happen. Uh, he'll heal us. I know we're injured, but He'll bind up our wounds. It's not that they don't know the right vocabulary, it's that they have the wrong heart. You see, this idea of, of returning to the Lord was attached to, to absolute loyalty to the Lord. And they had come and said, well, I know that that's what it said in the Sunday school lesson, so this is what we're going to do. We're going to go and we're going to repent to the Lord and then everything's going to be just fine. Look at verse 2. After two days, He'll revive us. On the third day, He'll restore us that we may live. Uh, in other words, uh, what they're saying is, hey, if we go and we repent and we do this thing and, and we go through the motions and we sing the songs and we pray the prayers and we get down on our knees and we do the thing uh, that God has asked us to do before, uh, then what He's going to do is just in a minute, just in a few days, He's going to come back and all will be well again. Inauthentic worship is a worship that disconnects. Is a worship that disconnects what I'm doing with who I am. 
And Israel is, is trying desperately just to enter into the mechanics of trying to do worship before God. And they're doing a bad job. Look at verse 3. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge Him. As surely as the sun rises, He'll appear. He'll come to, he'll, he'll come to us like winter rains, like the spring rains uh, that water the earth. Uh, there's this word twice in the NIV, acknowledge. Some of you might say uh, it has confessed. Some of uh, your translations might say to know. And the idea, again, it's attached to this repent. It's, it's supposed to be this complete loyalty to God, this complete commitment. And the people of Israel, again, are coming in and saying, well, what is it that we should do? I know. Let's confess. Now, is confession bad? No. Is it necessary? Yes. But how did we start this sermon? How did we start it? Do you remember what you said? From the inside to the outside, right? We started this whole thing by talking about from the inside into the outside. And that if those two things happen in concert with one another, uh, then the, the relationship is authentic. And what Hosea is pointing out is that these people are coming and they're saying, hey, in an external way, let's just confess. The confession is there, but the devotion is not. I wonder, I wonder if we could ever do this. I wonder if we could ever sing songs without, without communicating our devotion to the Lord. I wonder if we could ever pray prayers so that other people will hear them rather than God hearing them. I wonder uh, if we could ever, uh, let me just be real personal for a moment, I wonder if I could ever come and preach a sermon to people. And that it would be external and not internal. I wonder if, if people could come and listen to sermons being preached week after week, and it would be uh, an external exercise of what they're supposed to do so they can check the box at the end of the day and the end of the week and the end of the month and say, Lord, we've acknowledged you. Now you need to give us what we're asking. Notice what Hosea says in verse 4. He says of their love, what am I going to do with you? What can I do with you, Ephraim? What can I do with you, Judah? Your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. Uh, their love at one point was an ocean, and now it is reduced to a mist on the morning grass. You know how long the mist lasts on the morning grass? Not long. And he's saying, let me tell you, let me uncover for you the reality of your love to me. Your love for me? Your love for me is the mist on the grass and not the well. And so we're confronted by our own selves. We're confronted by what's going on internally and externally, and we have to ask the question, am I authentic? 
Is the relationship that I desire with God, is it, is it authentic? Or am I going through the motions in order to try and appease God so that I can get from Him what He has to offer to me? These are hard questions. But you need to know this. There are no secrets before God. He says to the people in verse 4, hey, let, let, me, tell you, let me tell you who you really are. Your love. It's not an ocean, it is a mist. Read verse 5 and 6 with me. He says, I'm cutting you to pieces with my prophets. I've killed you with the words of my mouth. The, the judgments have flashed uh, like lightning upon you. And, and, and here is the key for all that we say this morning. For I desire mercy. Uh, the word is love. I desire complete and absolute love not sacrifice. I want acknowledgement rather than burnt offerings. What is it that God desires? Is God just another pagan God like so many pagan gods that we've known over the course of human history? Does He just want us to appease Him with our worship? Does He want us just to come and, and, and feel good about being here on Sunday and, and sing songs of, of praise to Him? Is, it, is that it? Is it that He desires for me only to just to come uh, to appease Him by, by giving my sermon and going home with my children? For you to listen, for us to gather, is, is, that, is that the God that we're talking about? No. Now, now, here's the hard part, and I wrestled with this all week long, okay? Does God expect that we sing? Yeah. Does God expect that we would give? Well, yeah. Does God expect that, that we would preach and listen? Yeah. Yeah. But what God wants more, what God wants more than the songs that we sing or the sermons that we preach or listen to, what God wants more than the money that we'll place in the offering plate or the gatherings that we'll gather around, what God wants more than the buildings we will build or the small groups we'll be a part of, what God wants more is you. Not half of you, not part of you, not a section of you. He wants all of you. You see, all of these other expressions, the songs that we sing and the sermons that we preach and listen to, the small groups, these are expressions, aren't they? They are to be these deep-rooted expressions of of my devotion and commitment and my loyalty to God. And so we come and we give them before the Lord, and not so that we can appease Him like He's some pagan God, but so that we can give ourselves to Him. Right? Now this next part of the sermon gets a little tricky. Because I've just got done saying to you all, hey, hey, 
We have to be willing to give ourselves fully and don't do this. And now I want to give you what the picture of authenticity looks like in Hosea. The temptation for some of you is to go, oh, okay, I got it wrong before, and I'll just try harder now. I'll get it more right now on the outside than I got it right before on the outside, and everything will be good. I'll just replace one appeasement thing for another. Don't do that, okay? Here's what Israel had gotten terribly, terribly wrong. They had lost the sacred. Authenticity means holding on to the sacred. How many of you ever been to the ocean? Do you remember the first time that you saw it? I think I was eight or nine years old. Uh, I was on a trip with my grandparents. And I remember that we were going to the ocean. It was back in the day when my sister and I could ride in the back of my grandparents' uh, pickup truck. And we drove from the eastern end of Washington all the way to the coast, camping along, fishing along as we went. It was great times. But I remember we pulled in we pulled into to where we were going to be camping. And I just couldn't wait to see the ocean. I, I mean, I was so excited. I had never seen the ocean. I'd never smelled the ocean. I'd, I'd never put my feet in the ocean. I'd never had salt water run up my nose. And I remember... I was so giddy to get out. I was like, Grandpa, let's go. Come on. Let's go. Let's go. It's time. We're going to see the ocean today. And I remember just kind of like, there it is. Wow. I mean, it was the ocean. Like the biggest thing I'd ever laid eyes on. I mean, the ocean, right? I mean, the, the, the thing that like from a kid from Nebraska doesn't see very often. To this day, every time I go and I get to sit and I get to watch the ocean, it is just like soaking in the sacred of what God has created for me. And I'm just like, oh man, this is amazing! But sometimes when I'm talking with friends who happen to live near the coast, happen to live near the ocean, what's my first question? Do you ever go to the beach? <laughs> uh, sometimes, I guess. It's just the ocean. What? No. It's not just the ocean. It's the ocean. And I wonder, 
If sometimes in the confines of facilities like this one, when we gather the way we do, when we sing songs every week, when we pray, when we listen to sermons, if we don't fool ourselves into giving up that which is sacred, we're not talking about the ocean. We're talking about God. We're talking about coming before Him as people who know that He desires us. And we are singing to Him and we're praying to Him and we're getting down on our knees to Him. And all of these become expressions of how sacred He is. Are you hanging? When it becomes an outward-focused thing, and we lose the authenticity of what's going on inside, it's because we have lost something sacred. Israel had lost God as sacred to them. There was no more aha. There was no more awe when they came into the presence of God. And so what I'm challenging you with, what I'm challenging myself with, is that when we come, we recognize the relentless God who's in pursuit of us and we align our lives with His. And our relationship with Him becomes authentic when we hold Him as sacred God. Have you ever noticed how damaging the word just can be? Just, my wife. <laughs> just, my kids. Oh, that's just my church. It's just worship. It's just a song. It's just prayer. And it can begin to infect really every area of our lives, can it? Now, several weeks ago, I was with a student who had gone on and he's completing his graduate level work and he's going to have a Master of Arts degree in Old Testament. And I was sitting there talking with him and he's finishing up his thesis and he was talking to me and he said, uh, we were talking about his future and what he's going to do and I said, he says, yeah, but I, I, I just have an M.A., I stopped him right there. I said, no, don't ever say that again. You have given your heart and you have given years and you have given your finances in order to do this. Don't ever say just. Because what it's going to lead to eventually is we begin to take other things that are sacred and throw them to the side by just saying just. Gang, you want to be authentic? And don't give up the sacred. There's something else that Hosea begins to point at through the inauthentic example of the Israelites. And it's that we who desire to have authentic relationship with God Never, 
ever act entitled? Have you ever seen someone who acts entitled? If you haven't, just go visit your 13, 14, 15-year-old. They'll tell you what entitlement, or they will show you what entitlement is all about. Nobody laughed at that. I was really expecting something there. Uh, Maybe it was too true. If we want to hold authenticity before God, uh, we cannot assume and feel entitled to something that God will give us. The problem with Israel as we walked through the passage was, was that they assumed that God was going to give them something. That they had a right to what God would give them because they had gone through the motions of what God had told them to do. I know lots of entitled people. It's called college. I know students that come into my office They have not turned a paper in all semester long. And yet somehow they will walk into my office and feel some sense of entitlement because after all, they're nice people. To which I I have to inform them they are very nice people, but they still have to take my class again next semester. When we begin to feel entitled before God, we place ourselves in a position that we don't want to place ourselves in. We begin to stand over God and demand of God that He gives us whatever we ask because we think it's our right. Gang, You want to live authentic lives before God. For those external things to match the internal things. You can't come before God saying, well, I've done all the check marks. I've I've jumped through all the hoops. Now it's your turn to give to me. You know what you're entitled to? You know what I'm entitled to? Scripture says that what we're entitled to is death. That what we're entitled to is dying. That the moment we chose to sin, the moment we chose to do something we knew was wrong, that we deserve death. That's why Jesus is so important. He died the death we should have died so that we can live You want authentic relationship? Don't feel entitled. There's an old, old song. It's one of those old Bill Gaither songs. I think he probably wrote it. It's a children's song, of all things. It goes something like this. From the inside out, God is looking at me. From the inside out, I hope he likes what he sees. Authenticity. Authenticity comes when we align internal reality 
with external behavior. And when we can do that, our relationship with God will be whole. Let's pray. Gracious God, I thank you for who you are and all that you do. I thank you for making me your servant. And I pray, Father, for all those here this morning that that we recognize your relentless pursuit of who we are. I pray, God, that, that we are not losing the sacred. And I pray we would never feel entitled before you. So we step in front of you with awe. And Father, may every expression of our relationship with you, every sermon listened to, every song sung, every prayer prayed, may everything that we do be an overflow of an authentic relationship with you. We love you. In Jesus' name. Amen.